Welcome to Crown of Mist, the final day of Princess Diana. My name is Branson. I will be playing Walt Tremblay. Am I going to introduce everybody? I'll just introduce everybody. The director is going to be played of the documentary. This is a true crime documentary on Princess Diana's last day. will be played by Charles. Detective Remy Labou will be played by Dan Beckner. He is a French police detective who oversaw the death of Princess Diana. Uh, Lady Beatrix Peckford will be played by Dev, a British nobility and a personal friend of Princess Diana. Hugh Tarvis will be played by Felix, who is Princess Diana's bodyguard. Agent Stroud will be played by Andrew. He's an MI6 agent. Uh, Clerk Kardashian will be played by Alana, a friend of Diana, an American socialite. Torvis Munch will be played by Andrew. He's a friend of Walt Tremblay and a Beanie Baby collector. And, and he's rich. Yeah, and he's rich. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charles. He's Charles, like, don't forget, he's rich. That's an important yeah. character detail. And then Claudette will be played by Reina. She is a single French woman holding a single red rose. Well, let's just jump right into it. I'm Patrick Stinson with breaking news coverage. Princess Diana is seriously injured and two other people have died following a car crash in Paris. This is BBC television from London. Diana, Princess of Wales, has died after a car crash in Paris. That Diana, Princess of Wales, has in fact been killed in that car accident. We have reports from Paris that Diana, Princess of Wales, has been killed in a car accident. It was in the early hours of uh, August 31st there, 1997, Paris. It seemed insane, c'est feu. At that time, no one knew anything to say. There was a wreck. Everyone blamed the paparazzi. But by then, the narrative was unfolding and had already superseded reality. People did not want to know what happened. People wanted someone to blame. It just turned out that some people did not want to cooperate with that. Nobility is a difficult thing to pass, British nobility in particular. There's always been a difficulty for us to look, well, I'm loath to say it, but human. Diana did not have that problem. It's a shame that, well, at least I believe, she's gone because of the most common lowbrow man in all the world. Everything was off that day. Everything. I didn't feel right. I don't know if you want to call it premonition, conspiracy, or what, but uh, there was an ominous cloud hanging over everything that day. I don't recall anything physical that he actually did, but even now knowing that, I feel like somehow, metaphorically, he is responsible for what happened. From Chapter 2 of the Police Inquiry, page 54. Coincidentally, all parties involved that night had some sort of interaction with an unnamed American tourist. Princess Diana, Dodi, U Tarvis, and even the Paris police. This individual, later for unknown reasons, was at the scene of the crime and could have been involved in the accident. That man's name was Walt Tremblay. 
I am retired now and I say this as a private citizen. Fuck Walt Tremblay. Fuck to him. Tabernacle. Hostie de Colon. Stupid ass. Dumbass. With a dumb motherfucker. Modi Anglais. Merde. There have been plenty of investigations into the untimely death of Princess Diana. Conspiracies surround the case, with people going as far as saying that Princess Diana was assassinated by the Queen of England. This is not one of those documentaries. This documentary is about a man named Walt Tremblay. You wouldn't have heard his name on the news or in the police reports. In fact, most people that are involved with the case don't even know who Walt Tremblay is. But from who I've spoken to, those that have met Walt tend to remember. This is his story. My name is Horace Mealy. This is Crown of Mist, the final day of Princess Diana. So, Walt, do you know why you're here? Oh yeah, probably. Well, uh, maybe. I'm getting interviewed for two documentaries today. Sorry to d- double book. I'm not in Hollywood, not a Hollywood guy. I, 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 uh, I don't know if that's rude. Which one is this? This is the uh, Princess Diana one, Walt. Oh yeah, great gal, great gal. Well, uh, wait, what was the other one you booked? It's some, you know, effeminate-looking men. I'm not a bigot, I don't care. But some soft-looking men wanted to interview me about the possibility of me being the Terra Hot Strangler. I'm, I'm sorry, I know this isn't related to me, but but why? Well, for a brief period of time, I was the person of interest in the case, which doesn't bother me, no sweat off my back. Being called a person of interest is basically the same as saying I'm an interesting person, so it's sort of a compliment if you think about it. It's a compliment to be a person of interest in a series of stranglings if you're a glass-half-full kind of guy. Uh, Can you elaborate on that? Well, it's like optimism. You see a glass and it's up halfway. It's either halfway empty or no, halfway... Well, I, know, I know what a, the glass half full metaphor means, but could you elaborate on why you are a person of interest in a series of stranglings? Uh, you know, uh, strangling, choking murders? Well, long story short, my gynecologist ended up ratting me out to the cops. I'm, I'm sorry, gynecologist? This is this is a whole bag of worms. You know, so much for the short story. This is a whole bag of worms. So if you want me to get into it, I'll get into it. But I'm letting you know ahead of time it's a whole thing. Should I proceed? Are you on a time crunch? You got some time? Yeah, all right, all right, all right. So basically, I was seeing a gynecologist, even though I am biologically male and I have a penis. My doctor at the time was upset that I kept sitting down in the shower and getting yeast infections, you know, in my butt. So he told me to stop sitting down in the shower and that they'd stop. And I got very upset with the man telling me what to do. I work hard every day. You know, back then I was working as a doorman in an apartment building and I was on my feet all day. So when I came home, I wanted to shower and sit down. So I think my doctor thought that if he threatened to send me to a gynecologist, uh, he thought that would make me stop sitting down. I think he wanted to like think he was like uh, feminizing me or making me go, oh, I can't go to a gynecologist. I'm a man. But I'm like a new age indigo girls child type of guy. And I don't think there's nothing wrong with going to the gynecologist. So I show up at the gynecologist and I kick open the door and I go, yeah, I'm a man at the gyno. So what? And all those chicks were terrified. And, and uh, can can you um just shorten this story maybe? Long story short, the doctor wants a urine sample for something. I always hated having a male gynecologist, you know. It feels weird for a man with a penis to go to the gynecologist and have a male gynecologist, you know. You know, they're for vaginal health, and there's two guys with, you know, I hate to say it, but dicks in the room. And I'd rather just one of us have a vagina. Like, like, am I wrong? 
Am I wrong? Am I crazy for that? Like, I don't know if there's any women on set I can ask personal questions about their gynecologist on here, too, but... I'd really rather you didn't. Anyway, I was on a big vitamin kick at the time. Multivitamins. You take one, one leads to two. You know, I need a men's multivitamin. But then, like, B12, biotin, elderberry. You know, I start overthinking it, thinking, well, what do the women's uh, multivitamins have that, you know, maybe I'm missing out on? Maybe I need them, too, because I'm, like, very empathetic as a person. I have a lot of female kind of traits, you know? I like a strong woman. Anyway, multivitamins are like medicine, right? Medicine makes you better. So what would happen if you took a whole lot of medicine? I bet I'd feel great. So anyway, I had a rare condition in my urine because of all the vitamins. It kind of will glow in the dark. And there was like neon orange, like a lime green colored urine, like a mixed sherbet. Depending on the time of day, starts out orange, goes green, then raspberry, you know, by nighttime. Anyway, it was linked to the media that the Terra Hot Strangler, after he uh, strangled these women, he liked to uh, pee on them. And forensics noticed his urine was quite uh, pungent and rich. Well, after my gynecologist got a urine sample from me, he sent it to the cops. It wasn't a match. I'm not the guy, but a lot of internet weirdos still think that I did it, that I, I strangle, that I'm the, the strangler. But I'm not. I, I promise. Anyway, I'm talking to those guys later. So uh, <clears throat> this is the Princess Diana one? That's correct. So uh, are you going uh, to try and make me look like the bad guy? We're just trying to get to the truth here. You can tell me if you are. I don't care. I'm not going to freak out. Am I the bad guy? I mean, there's no bad guys, really. We're just going to let the viewer decide when we present the information. All right. All right. I got you. I got you. So I'm the bad guy. I get it. Listen, I'm very sorry for what happened to Princess Diana. But if you're going to look at me and tell me I'm a criminal and you expect me to agree and nod, you got another thing coming. All right. I made a little mistake, but I'm not responsible. What do you want? My blood? It's all water under the bridge to me. Why don't you start us off at the beginning, Walt? <sighs> all right, all right. Well, it, uh, it all started with the Beanie Babies. Could you please introduce yourself? Ah, yeah. My name is Torvis Munch. I'm retired. I'm from Palm Springs. In the late 90s, I was a big, big, big enthusiast and collector of Beanie Babies. I met Walt Tremblay after purchasing a Beanie Baby from him. The first one I bought from him was a little bear named the Fran the Bear. It was uh, a special edition Beanie Baby released to celebrate the third season of the show, The Nanny, <laughs> named after Fran Drescher on the show. And I brought it with me. And you can see that it's got a little leopard print skirt here and a little, uh, I don't know, a little uh, bra. And this is considered one of the most or the most erotic Beanie Baby ever made. You know, these things, there weren't a lot of these made. Um, after that, you know, I, I knew Walt could get rare stuff. So I contacted him pretty regularly. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Beanie Babies were kind of the original Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, Bitcoin, it was worth a lot, you know, and now it's not. And back then, you know, the Beanie Baby was serious business. So, you know, these bears were being sold for like six figures sometimes. These shut-ins and, you know, no judgment here, but these losers, these old menopausal women, right? They'd folk over the life savings to me. For instance, I had a JFK Jr. Beanie Baby with a printing error on it that said KKK Jr. instead of JFK Jr. that I sold for 80 grand, you know, to the ACLU who burned it. You know, they thought I was price gouging them, and I was, you know, I respect the ACLU and all, but, you know, there was a grand dragon in Kentucky who was prepared to give me nearly 90. So, you know, I'm not a bad guy. They got a discount. 
I was in Paris in uh, August 1997 for uh, Donald Khan. It's a fan gathering celebration of all things Donald Duck. I got a call from Walt in my hotel room, and he told me he's got this rare beanie baby to offer me. He told me what it was, and I was pretty interested in it. There's actually two beanie babies, a Lewis and Clark set, uh, you know, Superman and his girlfriend. Um, the Clark one was a bear with a cute little tie and glasses and had a, a hidden pouch on his back for the cape. Real clever. And um, the lowest one had uh, the sloping shoulders and uh, pert breasts of the lowest actress, Terry Hatcher. Very erotic physique, you know, for a bear, uh, a toy. And uh, so, yeah. I couldn't sell the stupid Lois and Clark Beanie Babies because every time I met with a prospective buyer, I went on my trademark Lois and Clark rant. Because you, you know, it's an insane concept for a TV show, Lois and Clark, because it's the most boring parts of Superman. You know, just when he's some nerd who goes around lying to everybody, you know? He says he loves Lois, but he just lies about who he is. He pretends to be like a clumsy, sad virgin. And you know, the whole time the show goes on, he never does anything cool. The girl Lois is in love with, you know, she's in love with Superman and he's in love with her but he won't like you know say you're Superman bud and you can, you can have sex with Terry Hatchet. It's like five seasons long and she doesn't figure out he's Superman till like season four like what the fuck is going on for most of those episodes? Like seriously what the fuck is that show about? You know I told him I wanted to buy it but I wanted to see it in person first I kind of like to see the product which he had a problem with I guess uh, he wouldn't wait till I got back to America he said I'd come, he said he'd come meet me in Paris, which I thought was a bit strange, but I didn't say anything at the time. Walt, why couldn't you wait until Munch got back to America to sell the Beanie Baby? Hold on, I'm still on the other thing. I'm looking it up on my phone now. Lois doesn't figure out he's Superman till season three, the 44th episode. What were they fucking doing before those at? Huh? Listen to this description. The leader of inner gang Bill Church is retired and his son Bill Church Jr., played by Bruce Campbell, takes over. Inner gang wants to buy the Daily Planet, but fails while at the same time they discover a new type of kryptonite that is red and not green. While trying to convince the guy to sell the newspaper, they try out the new kryptonite on Superman to see what effects it has on him. And when he's exposed to it, he becomes apathetic and doesn't care about anything. You know, they try to kidnap Perry while Superman wonders why he's acting all this way. He sends him to a psychotherapist to help him out named Dr. Friskin. And she believes that Superman needs vacations because it's all stress he puts on himself. Superman needs a vacation. But during a session of red kryptonite or something, he leaves it on the desk or whatever. And he ends up, you know, going to jail. Anyway, it's a whole lot of mess. And uh, anyway... Lois and Clark take a second chance on dating, and Clark promises he won't run off again. 20 million people watched that episode. It was like the most popular TV show at the time. Like, what the fuck is wrong with Lois and Clark? Uh, Walt, can we circle back around to what we are talking about? Mr. Munch just wanted to make sure the Terry Hatchy Beanie Baby... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna start that one over. Listen, Mr. Munch just wanted to make the Terry Hatcher Beanie Baby kiss the Fran Drescher Beanie Baby anyway. Did he tell you that? Did he? You can tell me. Just cut the cameras. Did he tell you that? He still tells everyone that I wanted to make the Beanie Babies kiss, which I didn't. 
I just said I wanted to make them do it once. Walt, why did you have to go to Paris immediately? Why couldn't you wait until Munch returned? Huh? Oh, that's easy. I was going to be murdered. Murdered? Yeah, murdered. By who? A bookie. I forgot his name. Well, well, why? I owed him money. I kept gambling. Why else does a bookie kill you? Well, what were you gambling on? I kept gambling on Lois and Clark saying that they would get together, that they would kiss or fall in love or have sex or whatever. It just seemed ridiculous that each episode would go by and they hadn't even kissed or nothing. And, you know, he's Superman, so why can't he get the girl, you know? So I thought, surely next week... And a bookie took bets on this? Well, I demanded it, to be fair. He didn't want to. I just kept saying it and saying it, and eventually, you know, I gave him good odds, and it just didn't work. And it was just a thing for fun originally, but when that debt starts piling up, people change, they get mad, they say things that make you scared. But, you know, I'm fine now. I don't gamble on the plot of television shows anymore. I learned that lesson. Because it's scripted, you know, it's not even random. Some guy writes the whole thing. I had no idea. So I flew to Paris to sell it quick. I was staying in the Hotel Hilton Paris Opera, and on August 30th, 1997, at around 2 p.m., I met with Walt Tremblay at Le Grand Salon to have a few drinks and to inspect the Lois and Clark Beanie Babies. You know, the whole flight, I was thinking about my classic bit, the Lois and Clark rant. You heard it just now. You know it's good. But honestly, it was a very long flight, very long, and I landed in Paris early around 10 a.m., and I was exhausted, you know? My jaw was killing me because I was chewing them the same piece of gum the entire flight, you know? And the guy next to me was just wearing headphones, and I couldn't talk to him, you know? I even tapped his shoulder just to introduce myself and be nice, but he, he must have not liked what he saw because he kept those headphones on for, like, 10 hours. Never let his guard down, you know, and I was waiting because I wanted to practice on him my Lois and Clark rant for Torvis Munch when I sold him the Beanie Babies. He shows up. The Lois and Clark Beanie Babies look great. You know, I write I write him a check. I don't want to say how much money because it's, it is a lot. and I mean, it, it's a bit embarrassing. But, you know, I'm trying to finish the transaction and go because it's Donald Kahn and I love Donald Kahn. I go to Paris for every year. He keeps trying to, I don't know what to call it, riff? He keeps trying to riff with me, talking about the show, the TV show, Lois and Clark, and how it's Superman, and that it's like, he looks just like, just exactly the same in disguise, but he's just got glasses on. <laughs> Lois must be a, a real dodo bird, you know what I mean? Not being able to recognize his face, like, come on. <laughs> anyway, it's a good fit. People seem to enjoy it. Well, I told him that I never actually had seen the TV show Lois and Clark, and it was just a, a valuable beanie baby. And, uh, you know, eventually I had to cut him off and tell him that I've never seen Lois and Clark, and that did not go over very what well. What kind of fucking guy wants to buy the beanie baby for Lois and Clark, and he hadn't even... You know what? Never mind. I'm working myself up. It still annoys me. Just to make that, I don't know, all that money just to make a Fran Drescher-themed bear doll in the leopard skirt kiss a Terry Hatchet-themed bear doll with these, like, Madonna-style pointy breasts. You know, I thought of a, of a riff, that whole plane ride. No wonder, uh, you know, no wonder he wasn't laughing, you know, just a, just a huge waste. It was just a huge waste of time. I do have a good bit about those pointy bras, though. And and don't interrupt me, because I'm just going to say it. Those pointy triangle bras may look nice until you realize if you hook up with one of those girls, you need a T-square to take the bra off. Eh, saying it out loud, it's not that good. Anyway, it was a huge waste of a trip because he didn't know anything about Lois and Clark. He did pay you, right? Yeah, 
So it wasn't a total waste then. Huh. I guess I never thought of it that way. Huh. Anyway, he starts asking me what I'm doing in Paris, and I tell him about DonaldCon. DonaldCon is a fan club convention that takes place every year at a banquet hall in Paris. I'm not sure the cultural reasons for it, but the French just love Donald Duck. It's like a big deal here. Like, it's attended almost exclusively by millionaires. Tuxedos, fancy gowns all over the place. I'm not sure why. I just really like Donald Duck, and he's really important to me. I was like, well, you know, Donald Duck, sure, he's all right. You know, I had a good Donald Duck riff ready, so, you know, I was trying to play it cool. Because you know, you know he doesn't wear pants, right? That's kind of what the riff is about. I was keeping the riff in my back pocket until, like, the moment was perfect, you know? So, Paul asked me if, if he could go look at some of the stuff at Donald Count with me, and I thought, well, all right, you know, he did come through, so why not? Could be fun. I, uh, I was... I could have been more wrong. You know, it was my first time in Paris. We're at this fancy hotel, you know, having a cafe all latte in a Parisian, you know, swanky establishment. I'm feeling a little over my head, you know, because I'm just Walt. You know, I'm just just this guy from Terre Haute, Indiana with scabs all over my elbows and knees. Like, I don't belong. I'm thinking the Donald Duck convention would be more my speed. I'll get an airbrushed t-shirt of maybe Donald in some baggy jeans with a backwards hat as a gift for my estranged wife at the time. But, uh, I was wrong. The convention was in a big banquet hall across the street and I had dropped off the Lois and Clark Beanie Babies in my hotel room and I think we made it there around 4 o'clock because we were just in time for the Donald Duck impression contest. You know, I see this, you know, the impression contest, you know, it's on a stage adorned with like golden red tapestries and this big chandelier. Everyone is either in costume or in a tuxedo, you know, and I'm sitting there, you know, in my Mighty Mac vintage Indiana Paces windbreaker feeling like I'm, you know, sitting on a bale of hay with my finger up my notes, you know, and I have this great thought, this riff. This riff I'm sitting on could be a real good icebreaker so these rich French guys think I'm cool. I was able to secure some footage from this impression contest. You can see the line forming here where all the French men in full Donald Duck regalia are waiting to be called onto the stage by the judges, whereupon they do a short one or two line impression. If the judges like it, they'll ask you to say a more complicated sentence. Je suis le Français Donald Duck. Curse you, Mickey Mouse. It's duck season! Uh, je ne suis qu'un <laughs> I am le Kingdom Hearts duck. As you can see, Walt Tremblay skips the line completely and hoists himself onto the stage from the front, rolling onto it after struggling to get his feet above the threshold. People are not happy, and it only goes down from there. You know, my favorite thing about Donald Duck is that he never wore pants. You notice this? He's got a little sailor outfit with no pants and a speech impediment. I don't know about you, but I don't think that Donald Duck would legally be able to be executed in most states, you know, if he committed some type of horrible crime, like a murder or something. Whoa, hey, hey, what are you doing? Whoa, get off the stage. Get your hands off me. Get your hands off me. I'm an American. You don't get to touch me like that. Hey, hey. At this point... I couldn't do anything. I was already attempting to distance myself from Walt, but things just... they were nuts. Police arrived shortly after. Could you state your name for the record? My name is Detective Raimé Labo. 
I'm a member of the Prefecture de la Police de Paris. I responded to a call at the David Cage Banquet Hall regarding a disturbance to Donald Kahn, a yearly high society event attended by some of the most powerful people in France. May I ask, why do French people like Donald Duck so much? <laughs> he does not wear pants. He is free. He has girlfriend. We love his uncontrollable rage. We love his spirit. We love that he hates a Mickey Mouse, a Kalis. <coughs> He's the most French character like most French people. He was also a Nazi sympathizer in war cartoons. We love this Donald Duck. He can dish it out, but he absolutely cannot take it. If he smoked a Galois, he would be the president of France. Yeah, I, I didn't know this until I turned Donald Con, but the French version of Donald Duck really hates Mickey Mouse a lot. Like, he, he's, he's always saying, curse you, Mickey, I spit on you, Mickey. Tell Minnie that she should come see me if she wants to see a real man. All kinds of nasty stuff. Monsieur Donald will not... French per se is a top French cartoon. He make Asterix look like how you say a uh, funky Kong. He make a Tintin look like a rapist. <laughs> so, when you first showed up to the David Cage banquet hall, what did you see? I see a man in a ripped up windbreaker, accosted by I don't want to say the names of these men, but uh, multiple well-respected and wealthy French men. They have him pushed up against the wall underneath a very tasteful and artistic black and white portrait of Donald Duck. I'll tell you who it was. I don't care. Walt Tremblay was getting roughed up by Roman Polanski, Tony Parker, Christian Audigier, and the parkour guy from Brick Mansions. These men I do not want to name. They were giving Walt Tremblay a, a, a pink belly, wet willy, Indian Burn, Charlie Orses, Purple Nurple, Wedgie, Atomic Wedgie, many such things. I calmed this situation by escorting Mr. Tremblay outside of Donald Kong and telling him perhaps he is better suited for a cheeseburger restaurant. You know, I didn't take the cheeseburger restaurant as, thing as a dig anyway. I mean, he was right. I'm just a normal guy, down-to-earth, humble kind of guy, you know? I come from regular stock. My father was a burglar. Just a nine-to-five burglar came home every night with that big canvas sack with a dollar sign on it. And we didn't have much, you know, not fit for fancy places in Paris, I'll admit. I messed up. And so what? I just didn't get it, I guess. I never knew how much Tony Parker from the San Antonio Spurs loved the game Kingdom Hearts, enough to defend Donald Duck's honor with his fists. I just didn't know it's, you know, not a big deal. You live and you learn. We held him in our custody for about one hour, but there wasn't any charge to press, you know? In fact, Walt could have pressed charges against at least a dozen French millionaires for his injury, but chose not to. Apparently, Jean Moreau gave him a purple nipple so horrific that it was detached without any blood. We offered to take him to an hospital but he said he would just uh, rub some dirt on it. American expression, I believe. He wanted to be the cowboy, like the John Wayne. I wasn't going to sue anybody for a little misunderstanding, you know. So what? I lost my nipple. They don't do anything for men but poke out of your shirt. It's not like I got milk. If I had some milk in me, it would be another story. 
If I didn't have a nipple and there was milk in me, it would curdle because I wouldn't be able to get to it. But I don't, so I won't. He was released from our custody at 5.33 p.m. And he was last seen heading north on Rue de Roma. When I asked him where he was going next, he said he was hungry and wanted to find Le Hard Rock Café de Paris. I had read on a pamphlet on the flight over that they had the wettest t-shirt Eddie Vedder ever wore on display, and you could touch it, and it was still wet to this day. Uh, so then what happened? Well, I started walking up the street. I, I, I thought I saw a Columbia Fleece outlet store, and I got a little excited. It was a little chilly, so I wanted to upgrade my jacket one tier from windbreaker to a fleece. And I'm walking, right, and I see this huge commotion in front of some little restaurant in Paris. You know, there's all these camera guys, everybody snapping pictures, you know, and I realize it's the famous paparazzi. And I start thinking of this great riff, right? And I start walking forward, but, you know, little did I realize that was Princess Diana inside the restaurant. Hi, could you two please state your names for the record? My name is Lady Beatrice Peckford. My grandfather is Godfrey Privy, the ninth Earl of Essex. I was a close friend and confidant to Princess Diana. I'm mostly known in American media for my brief relationship with Chris Pontius. My name is Clert Kardashian. I'm a lesser Kardashian who isn't on TV, but I'm definitely a Kardashian. I was super close with Princess Diana and I cried like a little baby when she died. I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the only person in the world who has never accepted anyone's advice. And how did you guys become friends with Princess Diana? Well, I met Princess Diana whilst we were both attending the very prestigious private school, Our Lady of Perpetual Chastity. Of course, back then she wasn't a princess, oh no. Her father was merely another old plebeian chap with a sunken chin and grand aspirations of becoming Earl someday, which he would blather on about. Oh. Honestly, I used to bully her pretty badly. I would take a box of Godiva with me to school and rub the dark chocolate truffles on her school chairs and then tell everyone she had taken a shit in her uniform. <laughs> I used to exhale cigarette smoke into her face and then stub the Davidoff out on her collar. You know how girls are. Of course, once her father did in fact receive a title, she became much more valuable to me and we became immediate great friends. Well, sort of. I locked her in my basement for a night and told her father we were having a sleepover, but after that we were nearly inseparable. Well, back then, my dad was a lawyer defending the landmine industry, who was suing Princess Diana for her slander and badmathing of the landmine industry. So we met during that court case at the judicial mixer they had after court. I saw that Judge Lance Ito from the OJ case was checking me out, so I tried to get Princess Diana to make out with me to turn him on. She wouldn't do it, which I understand. My mouth was pretty full of olives at the time. After that, we just, like, kept hanging out. So what was your day like on that day? We were drinking strawberry mimosas and brunching at the Hard Rock Cafe Paris before we all went to see Eddie Vedder's wet t-shirt. It was so wet. Yeah, it was like the wettish t-shirt I've ever seen. Easily. So cool. You could see like he was so sweaty that when the part of the sweat dried, it left like a ring of salt from where the shirt was the most sweaty. But at the same time, 
it was still wet. And that's like amazing. So amazing. It's quite refreshing to see a man put everything into his rock and roll music. So what did you do after that? We, um, we went back to the hotel to meet up with Hugh. Wait, Hugh Tarvis? Princess Diana's bodyguard? Yeah. Why wasn't her bodyguard with her? Like, being her bodyguard? It's a personal matter. We can't really talk about it. Yeah, I mean, Diana got a call and was like, shit, we have to get back to Hugh. He's fucked up. We are not supposed to talk about it. I'm not saying what drug he was on. I'm just saying he was all messed up. Still, it is rather rude to discuss other people's personal matters. How would you like it if someone mentioned that bikini wax you had that put you in the hospital? <laughs> okay, um, how would you like it if someone brought up the fact that when Shia LaBeouf shot you, it wasn't during a movie audition, you just made that up to remind people you want to be an actress? Hmm, okay. <laughs> how would you like it if someone leaked those pictures of you passed out inside of O.J. Simpson's birthday cake because you were trapped in there so long you got carbon dioxide poisoning? Uh, how would you like it if someone mentioned that your family is so inbred that you were born with your clit on the inside of your body? Clit, shut the fuck up! Too far, there's private medical information! You started it. Judge Lance will never fuck you! <gasps> Ladies, I hate to interrupt, but we should get back on track. What was going on with Hugh Tarvis, Princess Diana's bodyguard, on the day that she died that was so important that you guys had to rush back from the Paris Hard Rock Cafe after touching Eddie Vedder's wet shirt? Whatever, I don't even care anymore. Hugh Tarvis was addicted to Benadryl. <laughs> Could you state your name for the record? My name is Hugh Tarvis. I was on private security detail for Princess Diana on the day of her death. Oh man, when I say it like that, it makes me look quite bad. Like I'm really bad at my job. Well, what do you remember about that day, Hugh? Start from the beginning. <sighs> it's been a long time, you know. But uh, faced a lot of demons that day. It was a dark time in my life, and obviously the death of Princess Diana was well on me. You work detail, and you know any mistake you made would be devastating. At the time, I was thinking, you know, we're in France, everyone in the world liked Princess Diana, I thought. Thought I could, uh, well, let my guard down, because I was sick. I messed the timing up, and I paid for it. I'm sorry, the, the timing of what? The Benadryl. <laughs> Hugh kept sneaking off while we were in Paris. We all see the red flags now, but... Back then it all seemed so, I don't know, innocent? Perhaps that's not the word, I guess. It just seemed so stupid. I think Hugh had the dumbest, most worthy of mocking and judgment addiction that I've ever seen in my entire life. I know that, you know, the compulsion, it's a disease, but this is just so fundamentally fucking stupid that when we found out, of course we didn't offer support or help or whatever, we just, we had to ask about a million fucking questions. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. He would take like 20 Benadryl and then he would go and try and jack off and come before he fell asleep. Then he would have spider nightmares. <laughs> he said the orgasm was like 200 times stronger. He talked me into trying it and you do come pretty hard. I don't know about 200 times. 
I mean, come on, but the spider nightmares are absolutely awful. Not worth it. I had to get therapy. Well, more therapy. It's just the best feeling. I don't know how to explain it. It's like touching Goldspunga, you know, in that famous painting of those two gores. It's like rising higher and higher through your own consciousness that you burst out through the top of your own skull. I tried heroin. I was sick from all the spider nightmares and no one felt bad for me for being addicted to Benadryl. So I thought, well, if I do heroin, maybe people would respect me as an addict more. But I didn't like heroin. I don't know. I shut up and everyone in the drug house that I was in, it's like, well, it feels so good, right? I'm like, no, this is, uh, this heroin stuff doesn't work on me. It's nothing compared to that Benadryl load. And when I said they all rolled their eyes, it was demeaning. We constantly find him passed out with his dick in his hand everywhere. Sometimes there was a mess, sometimes there wasn't. But Diana said it was fine as long as he didn't do it in public. I did a uh, documentary about people's strange addictions. I don't know if you guys are going to film anything or if uh, this is all audio, but they got a lot of B-roll out of me, you know, doing bleak but normal stuff, like underlie the severity of my bizarre chemical-induced masturbation addiction. They had me, like, walking along the shore of an ocean, you know, the unfun part of the ocean, no sand, just a bunch of rocks overcast. They had me skipping stones by myself. I would, like, pet my dog and look longingly out the window. That kind of stuff. I could do it now if you want that. Uh, no, I don't think we're going to need that. He would wake us up with his spider nightmares in the middle of the night. Just, like, wailing, screaming. It was past screaming, honestly. He was shrieking. He would just shriek in his sleep at the intensity of those spider nightmares. Uh, spider nightmares are the, uh, biggest downside of my condition. I know that, like, addiction, compulsion, the line that comes from, uh, you know, the Benadryl use the loss of family and friends, but uh, even past all that, spider nightmares are by far the biggest downside. It just appear into a world of infinite horrors, worse, infinite worlds containing infinite horrors, just streaming towards you. Uh, Hugh, you still with us? Legions of just spiders, small, as horrible as the large climbing on you into you, becoming you, seeing you inside and out, while also physically covering all of you, biting the acid, the poison, and then the web. Oh my God, the web, the web! Hugh talked me into doing it with him once. By it, I mean Benadryl, not sex. Even though we did have sex, but most of the time he was asleep, having a spider nightmare. So I feel it kick in and I'm like building towards it and I'm trying to time it. And I'm not gonna lie, it was pretty good. I was pretty sold on it then, but then I had a spider nightmare. And once I got to the web, I was like, I'm donezo, that fucking web. The web is just so bad. An insidious design, really, if you think about it. Eight legs. Eight legs wouldn't be so bad if they only had two eyes, but then God, eight legs and eight odds. What are the chances? It can't be a coincidence. How does nature know? Awful, just awful. Eight legs, just perfect for walking on that web. 
Yes, so apparently he called Princess Diana as he was slipping into his stupor and she heard him screaming about the web. So we left the hard rock and came back and when she found him, his pants were around his ankles and he was rolling back and forth in his sleep. There's nothing you can do for a person in a spider nightmare. You just gotta ride that web. Believe me, he was riding the web very hard that day. Princess Diana went to go find a big towel to throw over him, and we just kind of watched French TV, which is mostly reality shows daring 14-year-olds to go open-mouth kiss old guys in tuxedos. We were just waiting for Hugh to get it out of his system because we wanted to go out for dinner, and we knew the paparazzi would be crazy in the evening because that's when they all wake up from their naps in France. There was also that one TV show we were watching that was a French version of Sherlock Holmes where he just scoffed at everything instead of actually solving any crimes. Or that one French TV show where that toddler inherits his dad's porno company. We also happened to be drinking at this time. A lot of people don't know this, but Princess Diana loved drinking like really heavy black imperial stouts out of really big, heavy, foamy mugs. I tell people this and they never believe me. And she loved her cigars. Anyway, we were all slugging imperial stouts at that time. And we're a little out there by the time Hugh finally woke up from that spider nightmare. I tell you, when you are freed from that spider nightmare, it's a beautiful thing. Each time it feels like a billion years of captivity where they reprogrammed your brain to feel new, unfathomable levels of pain. It felt like it's been so long that you don't even recognize yourself or your own thoughts when you get out. But each time, only about four hours at best, and I was just jerking off. He was still a bit wobbly in hindsight. Probably not the best idea for us to make him go with us to the flagship Paria Bonpan. He fell asleep in the limo over there, actually. Kept mumbling about the web. We knew he wasn't doing too hot, so we just pretended he was talking about the internet. I didn't really want to drink Imperial Stouts for another four hours while he figured his shit out. We get there, get our table, and he goes to post up against a wall or something as security, and I guess we all thought he was good then. It was very foggy. There was a lot of uh, movement. A kind of a fisheye lens thing going on, with the exception that every once in a while I would see a spider um, attacking me with either poison or just sheer quantity of bites. But it was usually only one spider. I can handle one spider. Someone tipped off the paparazzi and we saw them gathering outside. I can't tell you how irritated I was. By then we were all so full of imperial stouts that we easily looked ten stone heavier. So I remember seeing the crowd, the paparazzi gather, and I splashed some cold water on my face. And I started to see it getting an alternative exit together through the back of the restaurant. But, you know, the women weren't done eating yet. They wanted to say. And I started getting anxious, and I felt uh, the cold, if you will. So I'm walking up the road now, me, little old Walt Tremblay, and I see all these people standing in front of this restaurant taking pictures going nuts, and I think to myself, well, that's probably a pretty good restaurant if it has everybody acting like this. Later, I learned that Princess Diana was inside drinking Imperial Stouts with some bimbos, and sorry to say it, but they are. They looked like great girls, I'm sure, but you know, I'm just saying what I saw. I'm making sure no paparazzi sneak into the building. 
and everything is still hazy. I just remember seeing this weathered voice and just hearing this grating, awful voice. I, 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 I had this beanie baby that I had a crown on in my pocket, you know, in case Munch wanted to buy another beanie baby, you know. It was a beanie baby named Queenie that they made after to, like, celebrate black girls or, you know, like African-American young women. And even though, you know, the bear was about celebrating black girls, it had it on a little tag. I thought maybe Princess Diana should sign it because it would be worth more money. She's a princess. She might be the queen one day. I don't know. And when I saw it, Princess Diana, you know, you know, they just kept saying, oh, no paparazzi can enter. And I'm like, well, hey, I'm not paparazzi. I'm just me. So I just <laughs> marched in there and this big muscle guy blocks the door and says, I can't come in. So I'm like, why not? And his face just glazed over. He just went from being some guy to being, like, inhuman. He just freaked out. I don't know if he was trying to scare me or what. The voice just... He was so annoying. My stress levels were through the roof. And as, and as I accosted him at the door, I'm talking to him, and I watched the spider crawl out of his eye and his mouth. And that spider multiplied. And when he asked me why he couldn't come in, a million venomous spiders flew out of, straight out of his mouth and into my eyes. He just walked straight to the meds room. I don't know what was going on in his head. I keep some Benadryl in my boot in case of emergencies. And this was... I got woke up too soon. I had to return to the land of dreams. So I'm harassing. Let's be honest with what it is. I'm harassing Princess Diana. I found that, you know, if you want people to do something, you just kind of keep bothering them and they will do it so that you leave. So I'm waving this beanie baby in front of Princess Diana and I'm lying to her, telling her I work for a charity, really laying it on thick. Oh, these kids have cancer. Oh, they're so poor. And, you know, I was trying to cry and I couldn't. And she's looking for someone to save her. And you know that look on her face when she realizes nobody he's coming so she gets a little scared a little scared of me so she signs it well that works fine for me i got what i wanted and i really don't care if princess diana is scared of me or not this very weathered looking man scared the daylights out of princess diana and we all started wondering where he was then we heard the moans of pleasure coming from the bathroom and how we knew what was going on i figure if i'm gonna take some benadryl even to uh escape the spot or not maze I might as well, so I'm taking it anyway. I might as well try to jack off real quick. Princess Diana immediately signed the man's beanie baby when she heard those moans. The awful man and the windbreaker kept trying to talk over it. It was wretched, a terrible moment for all of us. I hear this guy moaning and I'm like, you know, what? what? Everybody looks horrified. So I'm like, well, it's, it's break the tension. It's time to riff. I'm t it's time to riff on this guy. So I started saying, like, uh, I'll have some of what he's having. Hey, excuse me, waiter. <laughs> excuse me, waiter. I'll have what that man ordered because, you know, he's moaning. Excuse me, waiter, I want what he's having because it sounds like he, what he ate was so good that he went to the bathroom and started coming. And coming hard. Like, you could tell this guy was having a nut of the ages. Um, I remember that as an occasion in which I timed it perfectly, I could not have possibly done it better. It was a blue chip orgasm as far as orgasms go. Timed it perfect, not a single spider. You know when, like, you, when you nut and the lumbar part of your spine curls up, you kind of nut so hard it, like, hitches up? It was like that. 
was nice, but the second it ended, that's that's when I fell asleep and the spiders showed up. That's kind of um when we knew it was time to go. We had spent enough time with Hugh to know what one of his classic blue chip orgasms sounded like. And Princess Diana reaches up and grabs this guy by the collar forcefully. You know, this woman, she grabs me by like the collar, not really the collar, you know, she like like the throat. She grabbed me by the throat like a Darth Vader grab, you know, so I'm ready. You know, I got a riff ready to go. This is on my first rodeo. I go, you know, buy a guy a drink first. And I thought that would kill. And I'm looking around with my eyebrows raised and I get nothing, nothing. Awful crowd. She told him, ordered him, that man with the beanie baby to go into the men's restroom and grab her security guard, drag him out the back door, and throw him in the limo. Then she tossed him to the ground. I landed right on my ass, and she starts walking away. You know, everyone's looking at me, but I'm ready. I got a riff loaded. I perk up my shoulders. I look at the audience, or I guess it was a crowd, not really an audience. An audience is there to see you. Anyways, I perk my shoulders up, and I look at the crowd, and I say, What a woman! I got nothing. Awful audience. Crowd. Sorry. He tried a few more jokes, but then he went into the bathroom to get Hugh off the floor. You know, I walk in, this guy has his pants off, and there's, uh, you know, I don't know any other way to say it, so I'll just say it. There's cum all over the place. It's quite a scene. So I turn back to the restaurant, and I'm like, you know, where's David Caruso when you need him? You know, like it's a, like it's a crime scene in here. But listen, if you, you know, if you are a cop, though, in this restaurant, not really. I'm just goofing. But seriously, where is David Caruso when you need him? He's he's the CSI guy, right? Anyway, zero laughs. I just pulled his pants back up and I dragged him into the limo. Kind of left a snail trail of you-know-what behind. But I'm sure you don't want to hear about that. That's gross. For some reason, the beanie baby man climbed into our limo. We were even trying to physically push him out and he's like, Hey! Come on, we're all friends here. I helped you move this dead guy. Well, it turns out that guy wasn't dead, I guess, because he starts screaming about the web. So I'm like, you know, I got nightmares about the web too when my wife goes online shopping. But seriously, that's not, I am a divorced man. <laughs> not on paper, technically. But in reality, I am a divorced man. My wife, ex-wife, she's a real business lady type, and I'm very much a regular type of guy, so it couldn't work. Couldn't work. No harm, no foul. Easy divorce. Easier divorce than the marriage was. And I say that she's like, well, my, my estranged ex-wife. But I'm not, like, estranged to her. I send her mail all the time, online messages. You know, she still hears a lot from me. I just don't hear much from her. By this time, our driver was already getting out of there because the paparazzi was showing up. And we couldn't kick the guy, Walt, out of the limo because then they would ask him why he's with us. So we let him stay in the limo for a bit until we were able to lose the paparazzi. They tracked us for four hours. It was exhausting. He kept asking us to guess what celebrities he looked like and then he would say yes or no. It's not really a game. I actually woke up near the end and I heard him just keep trying to guess all the girls' ages while they just kept sighing. I was pretty confused, but things became clear. I immediately moved to remove Walt from the limo. I've never been kicked out of a limo before, especially not a moving limo, you know. 
I've been kicked out of a lot of places, uh, believe it or not, just standard places like restaurants or bars, you know, people's houses, but even places like the post office or Bath and Body Works, right? They got mad that I kept smelling and commenting on all the candles, and I didn't care how bad they wanted to go home. I made it through that door at 7.59 p.m. I was on time, it was still open, and I had rights as a customer. I was actually worried when Hugh tossed him from the limo. I thought he might have killed him. Then again, I was more relieved than worried. Unfortunately, Diana said that she saw him flailing when we sped away, so that meant he was still alive. I kind of just grabbed his ankle and whipped him out the window. His window was open because he was eating sunflower seeds and throwing them out the window as he was done with them. He was a pretty light guy. He was lighter than I expected, so I think I accidentally threw him pretty fast. I don't know what happened. I just went from eating my sunflower seeds to rolling through some French street bouncing up and down. Never been thrown from a moving car before, so that's one for the bucket list, I guess. Princess Diana was pretty worried that the paparazzi were still on us, but we didn't see anyone. The only tale that we had was this blacked out SUV and they weren't taking pictures. And they stopped to check on Walt, which meant that we had to get out of there as fast as possible. It was just a huge relief to be rid of that man and to be rid of the spider nightmares, even if it was only just for a moment. It was a really hard day. What time was it when Walt was thrown from the SUV? Where did you all go after this happened? It was around 10 p.m. And after that, Princess Diana wanted to get some cigars and, and chill. So Princess Diana got into a fat suit so that she could go back into the hotel unnoticed. Uh, I'm sorry, Princess Diana had a fat suit? Yeah, it had kind of a clumps vibe, and Princess Diana really played it up. And I mean really played it up. Beyond what she had to do, she would go to the front desk of hotels in her fat suits and be like, What time is breakfast? I really love breakfast because I'm a big fat lot ass and stuff. She kind of played it into, like, she was like a child's idea of what a great big fat person is like. Like, she thought that fat people ate until they threw up every single meal. In English nobility circles, if you are a child and a woman, there is a constant threat that you will be condemned to marry one of the Habsburg heirs in Austria if you get too fat. And what little girl dreams of marrying a sewer person? I mean, really, they all look like those poor Martians from that one movie, Total Recall. They have teeth coming out of their ears and toenails on their penises. It's an awful business. So really, Princess Diana's fat posturing makes much more sense if you look at it through that lens. Sometimes I felt that when Princess Diana was in that fat suit, completely anonymous, she finally got a chance to really be herself. <laughs> it's sad, really. That's when she was at her most honest, most vulnerable, most empathetic. If you take away all the fake farting that she did in it, the quoting of Fat Bastard from the Austin Powers movie, and the fake puking, it was pretty legitimately close to who she actually was. Wait, how did she do fake puking in it? She had one of those tubes in her sleeves, rigged up to spray fake vomit like they did on SNL. So every once in a while, when we had to leave in a hurry, she just let it rip. So Princess Diana had a fat suit rigged up with a fake vomit machine, and when she was in it, it was closer to being the real her. That's right. Okay, 
Fine. Good to know. So that's that. She had a fat suit, and it's normal, and it's not a big deal. Fine. That just is what it is, okay? So, out of the window, was that the last you saw of Walt that night? Unfortunately, no. We saw him later. Walt, what happened after you were thrown out of that limo? Well, I hit the ground pretty hard, I'm not gonna lie. I had a stitch in my side and my stomach hurt, and I was in some French gutter, lay gutter, I guess, so I was rolling around on my back going, oh, 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 God, oh, oh, oh. You know, like people do when they're hurt. Nobody really checked on me, they just kept walking by, but it was fine. You know, I got the wind knocked out of me, I just got the wind knocked out of me, you know? But then this big black SUV pulls up and I see all these James Bond looking guys hop out. Could have actually been James Bond even, what do I know? And this will be anonymous. Yes. You're going to distort it and give me that black outline from the lighting. Well, it's a podcast, so we're just going to alter the voice. But uh, could you state for the record who you are? My name is Agent S. I'm an XMR6 agent who is working in Paris at the time of Princess Diana's death. Does the name Walt Tremblay mean anything to you? Is that who this is about? He was at the scene of the crash, and a lot of people think he's responsible for her death. <laughs> That's funny. I'm sorry, what's funny about it? Well, just... You talk to him. Yeah, and? Well, he just sucks. He's a very annoying man, just awful to be around. The joke to me is basically that he sucks so bad that he gets blamed for Princess Diana's death. That's pretty good. I... I guess I get it. It's fine. You don't have to. It's just all very funny to me. You don't got to get it. I mean, except for the Princess Diana part. I guess that wasn't funny. But getting blamed for someone else's death is pretty funny. So these guys in suits and sunglasses all of a sudden pick me up and they start dusting me off, asking me all sorts of questions, right? I can tell they were British because they were the only people in France whose breath didn't smell like coffee. So they pushed me into the big black SUV and sped off. Walt was very uncooperative. Before we said anything to him, he started to yell things at us like, I don't know anything. I got no secrets. But you'd have to kill me before I told you guys anything. Basically... We just wanted to know who he was and why he was ejected from Princess Diana's limo. You know, so they pulled me in, right? And everybody's wearing sunglasses and has earpieces in and guns. And I'm like, wait a minute, something is up here. So I scan the scene, right? The back of the SUV is filled with duct tape, rope, chloroform. Don't ask me how I know what chloroform is or just what it looks like. I do. I know what it looks like, but I'm not one of those guys, right? They also had big red garden shears labeled car brake clippers, a case that was labeled anti-princess missile. I remember that very distinctively. I'm like, hold on, these guys are up to something. I'm not sure what, but they're definitely up to something. We were simply following the princess on security detail. Also, I'll dispute the account said by Mr. Tremblay, who was concussed. So I asked them about the stuff and they said that it was for home improvement. So I said, great TV show, but apparently they didn't, uh, they didn't have that show over in England because they were just very confused. 
that anti-princess missile was there. But that was for a completely different princess. They got defensive, you know. They start poking me in the chest real hard. Like, you know that real pushy chest thing that people do? Well, needless to say, I didn't like that one bit. So they started, you know, yelling at me in the British accent. Like, what were you doing in the limo, mate? <laughs> Sorry, that was more Australian, I think. Uh, what were you? Nope, nope, that was Jamaican. White guys can't do that nowadays, huh? Now, Reagan, I can do Ronald Reagan. Jelly beans, jelly... Mr. Gore, I can only say jelly beans. I am not, that's Nixon. I'm sorry, Nixon said that. Sorry, Walt, but what did you say? I said that was Nixon. I accidentally did uh, President Nixon. No, no, when they asked you what you were doing in the limo. Oh, I said that what? I don't look like I belong in a limo to you? What are you trying to say, buddy? That I don't deserve to be in a limo? I mean, I really let him have it. Was started as an informal questioning, um, soon escalated into an argument with me and Mr. Tremblay about his general appearance and his general exuding of a lower to working class vibe. You know, he said, he said this, I don't look like I'm fit to sweep chimneys in what I was wearing. And that pissed me off, you know? So I said, hey, your mom, your mother said I looked pretty good last night. And he starts coming back at me and I tell you what, I was having the time of my life. Me and this guy were just ripping into each other. So he says, I look like an unemployed Walter Matthau and I didn't have a good enough comeback. So I said, yeah, well, I'm gonna be looking better than you when I knock your ass out, buddy. Protocol was basically out of the window at that point. We basically, ended up transporting Walt Tremblay to one of our black sites. Well, I'm embarrassed to admit that he, that we transported Walt to our black site so that I could engage in a fist fight with him after he made a joke about knocking me out. I wanted to strike Mr. Tremblay very badly. So he says, listen here, buddy, we're taking you to a black site. So I'm like, what's a black site? Like uh, theroot.com? black site like a world star hip-hop i told him i read a blog called one eclectic brother a black site like that how are we gonna visit a black site like that needless to say zero laughs and when they didn't laugh they didn't even react i thought wait a second are they somehow actually taking me to a physical manifestation of a website for black people you started into this and i don't know what to call uh rant Riff, I can't remember most of it. It was uh, pretty rough. He kept asking us if we thought mayo was spicy and what could only be described as a very racist accent. Nothing. Horrible audience. I got nothing from him. We finally arrived to the black site and transported Walt to a section of the basement that we typically have fist fights in with just like mainly random French guys we pull off the streets. I walk in and I'm like, this place is uh, dumb. If this is a black site, it's got to be one of the weird ones, like the homepage for the black Israelites where they try to explain what they believe in and they can't. I actually enjoyed that joke at the expense of the black Israelites, but I tried really hard not to smile. I figured if, we, if he saw that I smiled, he would take too much pleasure from that. So I brought him downstairs, I put him in one corner, and I squared up. After a solid black Israelite burn, it didn't take a genius long to figure out that this guy actually wanted to fight me. I thought he was bluffing. He obviously could have kicked my ass. I, so I, you know, I shouldn't have threatened to kick his ass. So honestly, I had no one to blame but myself. 
So I'm kicking his ass, look. Fat. And I'm, I'm really kicking his ass. And he offered very little resistance. I was doing wrestling stuff to him. I was actually throwing him across the room. He was very light. I tossed him through the windows into the ceiling. It was crazy. You know, yeah, I got my ass kicked. So what? You know, it's not like he was in good shape after the fight. Did you injure him? Well, no, no, not like that. But he was very tired. He had to, like, sit down. And he sweated through his shirt, you know. His his shirt was very clearly sweaty. He was very tired. Not injured, but he was sweaty, you know. So it wasn't just me that suffered. You know, he, he, I got him messed up, too. Well, how'd you get out of it? What happened next? I was saved by the bell. Sirens started going off and calling us to meet at the rally point upstairs. I had completely lost track of time at this point. So we had received a location ping on our mission target who was on the move. And uh, we were called to establish a cutoff point. Who was the target? I know what you're thinking. It wasn't Princess Diana. It was a completely different princess. And what happened to that other princess? Oh. Oh. She died. Well, I don't remember hearing anything about any other princess dying in Paris on that day. Well, (laughs) that's the point of intelligence, isn't it? That you didn't hear about it. Yeah, but if a princess died on the same day as Princess Diana, I think that would be a pretty huge story. So we would have heard about it at some point if it was true. You can't just hide a princess's existence if she was dead. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. No. Oh. Well, I guess I never thought of it like that. Yeah. I guess that doesn't work. But regardless, it wasn't Princess Diana. It was a different princess. Uh, yeah, but... It, It's just a different princess. Let's move on. I'm moving on. So the last place they threw me, I was like, uh, you know those sticky hand things kids buy? You whap it against the wall and it slides down really slowly? That's what I was doing. I was sliding down the wall and when the alarm went off, they came over and scraped me off the side. They put a bag over my head and wrapped me in duct tape and threw me into the back of a car. You know, I was blindfolded, so I didn't really see what kind, but it was definitely like a sedan because I was in the trunk. It was a sedan style trunk and I didn't like that one bit. We drove to our rally point and we kept Walt with us. He was a loose end. You know, I got these teeth. I don't know how to explain it. My dentist said that I get so much, you know, that I talk so much that the wind from my mouth just sharpened my teeth. But I think he just said that so I would get out of his car. But needless to say, my teeth are pretty strong and sharp. I was able to bite through that bag pretty easily. I bit through the duct tape on my wrist. I knew where the little emergency, you know, the victim pulley thing is. Like if you're kidnapped by, you know, one of those rapists. I'm not one of those guys, right? I just knew about the victim pull thing, you know? I don't remember from where, it's just just not from being one of those guys, the rapists, like the kidnapper rapist guys. It's good news, you know, it's not good news at all what they do. What those guys do is awful, you know, but I'm not one of them. So I pulled the thing and I just lobbed myself out into the road, right? And again, I was going pretty fast into the street and I don't know how many times I rolled or I was hit by cars, but when I got up, I was definitely winded. I mean, I was gassed. I got up and I ran out of there. When we arrived at the location, we realized that Walt had somehow escaped. We didn't think it was possible. It was at this time that we considered that maybe Walt was actually a foreign agent just pretending to be annoying 
uh, an annoying Midwestern American man. That was kind of mind-blowing for us, honestly. It was, um, it was the only explanation for his, I guess you would call it, unique skill set. I'm sorry, are you serious? You think that was a possibility? Mossad, CIA, KGB, don't know who, but yeah, I bet my life on it. All right, well, what happened next? And so then we realized our anti-princess missile was missing. It had, been, it had to have been Walt. He pulled one over on us. That's what I thought. Walt Tremblay, he's got to be an American agent. He really just played us from start to finish and was watching us this whole time or we're just a fucking idiot. I don't know. But I've heard rumors about Walt Tremblay. I don't know who he is. Walt, are you a member of the CIA? <laughs> could, you, could you imagine? Agent Walt Tremblay. Excuse me, ma'am. Can I see your basement? I don't know. I think a terrorist lives there. Freeze! <laughs> Look at me. I'm Jack Ryan shooting up the Taliban. Yeah, I'm a CIA agent. <laughs> agent Walt in the Yemen flirting with some lady in the cocktail dress that both hates me and wants to fuck me at the same time. <laughs> but, you know, maybe, maybe from the hours of 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. every day I'm an agent while I'm snoozing. <laughs> well, that's when I'm on the clock in my dreams, but in my dreams... Annoying idiot, but it's a great cover. I bet he's still pretending to be stupid this very day. I'm sorry, can I... I spilled V8 all over my carpenter jeans. Can someone... Can someone get me another V8? Anyone got another V8? And this is a long shot, but can somebody get me a new pair of carpenter jeans as well? No, no, sweetheart, I don't care if you have Clamato. I said V8. Unless... I actually have a great Clamato riff if you are interested. Agent S... What was the last you saw of Walt that night? Well, he, uh, he came back for us. He almost botched our whole operation. Walt, where did you go after you escaped? Oh, so no Clamato riff? We don't have time? No, sorry, just, just move on with it. You're lost, buddy. Anyway, I was in Paris. I was sick of Paris, right? And I was tired. I figured I had to get out of town as fast as I could because all those James Bonds were after me, right? So I went to the closest train station to try to get as far away as I could. Well, and then what happened? Well, that's when I saw her. Her? Could you please state your name for the record? Je m'appelle Claudette Leroux. And could you describe yourself briefly? I'm sort of a dreamy, vague sort of woman. Kind of passionate for no real reason that you can determine. I just like to kind of walk around holding roses and uh, looking sad. So I, uh, I go to the train station and there's this beautiful, ugh, beautiful French girl there, you know, holding a single Wilton red rose, just kind of staring longingly at the sunset. You know, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know what a deal was. I am less of a woman and more like a man's idea of what a single French woman is, you know? Scarf, beret, big baguette for some reason. My dad has a ranch where he raises marionettes. 
So I see this French woman, right? And she's looking gorgeous, you know, great looking girl. And she's looking so sad. Oh, it's breaking my heart, you know. I'm looking at her and she looks like she works at one of those, you know, made up jobs that only like movie people have. Like she's like a museum curator or something. So, you know, I start thinking and I'm opening up a riff so I can talk to this beautiful woman who probably likes it when strange men approach her in public. Like, who am I to say that if women like that or don't like that before I meet them? I can't say. He come up to me, this very, how do you say, haggard looking man with a face like a studded leather. He looked like a statue that has spent a decade in a sandstorm. He smelled like a brand new used car and was chewing gum very loudly as he walked toward me, making 100% eye contact, which is very calming for a woman. I trusted him immediately. He pointed at my rose, which at this point was near death, wilting, and he said, Hey, miss, your rose is limp. Maybe you ought to go to a botanist and give it some flower Viagra. There's a great line. There's a great line. One of my best lines. And, you know, for the first time since I'd been in Paris, you know, uh, someone laughed. I could not stop laughing. Wonderful riff. American humor to me. This man, I think to myself, he is funny. Like my favorite American comedian, Sir Donald Duck. It was just a relief to get a laugh. You know, I really needed a win after a hard day of being beat up constantly and kidnapped once and also kidnapping a guy because Princess Diana told me to. I found him very charming. We talked for nearly an hour. After a bad day, my boyfriend had broken up with me because he thought I love him too much. And then I spilled my red wine on my horizontally striped white and black shirt. It was a relief to talk to a man who seemed so determined to make me laugh. I didn't even care what he looked like. I didn't even care that he looked like an English bulldog with a catcher's mitt on his face. He was nice. I enjoy my time with Monsieur Walt Tremblay. I tell you what, it was like I was Michael Richards at the Laugh Factory. <laughs> Every joke killed. I was in heaven making this beautiful woman laugh. I asked him to get a drink with me. Uh, just one drink, because it was getting late. When a f pretty French woman asks you to get a drink with her, you get a drink with her. And you offer to hold her baguette for her like a gentleman. We went to another uh, Aubab pan. Uh, we drank this amazing French beverage that the locals drink. It was a mixture of white wine and black coffee. They call it French juice. French juice is a local delicacy. It is called French juice because it tastes so good. It is just like juice to us. So we have this amazing conversation. It's like, oh, I'm in love instantly with this beautiful, lonely, depressed, kind of a sad sack, honestly, but so hot. French woman, after meeting her, I'm sitting with her and drinking this disgusting French drink with her. You know, she moves to leave and I'm like, honey, I'm over the moon for you. I gotta see you again. So I reach for my wallet to give her one of my business cards. You know, I didn't really have a job per se, but I had my fingers in a lot of holes. And uh, also, it was good to have a business card saying that you have different jobs if you ever need an alibi or something. And I reached for my wallet, and my wallet is gone. That's when I remember the James Bond guys took my wallet. He just stood up, went pale, and said, James Bond has my wallet. So I laugh. But then I realize he is not joking. I go, wait here. Don't move an inch. Have another French juice. I beg you. I have to go grab something. 
That's why I decided to go track down those secret agents that beat me up so I can talk them into getting my wallet. So I could get a business card of mine with a fake job on it and give it to this beautiful French woman, Claudette LaRue, give her my phone number and my email address, which is franksunclewalt at hotmail.com. I'm very proud of my 10-year-old nephew, Frank. Not like his shithole twin, Darren. Why couldn't you have just given Claudette your phone number from memory? I don't know. You get these business cards, right? You have this romantic idea of giving them to women, and I paid all the money for them. It seemed like a perfect opportunity to give her one. And it would be like, it would be sexy. I can't be sexy like a woman, you know, putting on lipstick and kissing a note or going into the bathroom and giving someone my underwear. I can't do that. Only chicks can. So all I had was the business card thing. You get it? So, so I sprint out the door. He told me to stay there in that cabaret until he returned. I waited until it closed. The next day, I waited there for Walt. I waited 100 days for Walt Trombley to return, drinking French juice in that cabaret. But he never came. I guess it wasn't meant to be. You know, I wanted to go back and all, but things got pretty dicey for a minute. When, um, uh, <laughs> when Princess Diana dies, it's probably time to get out of town, you know? Not trying to make light of it, but, uh, you know, I really wish I got another chance to see Colette, Claudette, whatever. I wasn't so old then, you know, we could have had a real life together. But, you know, whatever it is. I mean, my ex-wife wasn't that mean to me. I only really had to sleep outside on weekends. What? If you're there, if you watch this, I love you. I want to see you. Hey, uh, what, uh, what channel will this thing be on? Uh, it's online, Walt. Like, uh, like what, on a computer? Yeah. I don't mess with that stuff. I probably won't ever watch this thing. Well, what happened when you left the cabaret to look for your wallet? Left the what? The French, uh, bar. Oh, yeah, 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 that. Well, I didn't really know what to do or where to look, so I started to think. I just remember them, you know, overhearing them saying they were headed for a bridge, right? So I just walked around looking for some water. It sounded pretty easy to me, but I guess there's a, there's a lot of bridges in Paris. But I guess I got lucky. Okay, so here's the scene. Without a missile, and we're posted up outside of the bridge waiting for our target to show up. Nothing that night had really gone according to plan. We were not targeting Princess Diana. Different princess. There was a problem, though. There was a lot of unexpected foot traffic, and a local policeman was on the scene arguing with what appeared to be a banana merchant. Yes, my name is Detective Remy Lebeau, and I was at the scene. I was arguing with a neighborhood banana merchant. He ran La Banane, a small banana street food kiosk. He never got approved by the city to run a food cart, but he would bring up that he is a southern citizen. So our solution as a police department was to send someone to argue with him about whether or not a person has the right to be a sovereign citizen within a nation until he gets so tired that he closes his business. Strangely, this is a very effective solution. All parties seem pretty satisfied. At that moment, we observed that a large group of men dressed as Donald Duck were walking down the street drinking champagne out of their champagne flutes. <clears throat> yeah, Torvis Munch here. Donald Kahn that year was, uh, 
fucking nuts. You know, after Walt was kicked out, the party really got thrown into top gear. All the adrenaline, I think. It was sick. I puked like 10 times. I guess uh, we were at the tunnel that night. That's what it, that's what it shows on the cameras. I, I don't know. If you told me I was anywhere, I'd believe you. I, I was fucked up. I, I puked on uh, Christian Audisier, uh right on his bald head. Slid right off. Um, I don't think he even noticed. We had been uh, establishing ourselves at the mission point, waiting for the target, which was not Princess Diana, as we have established. We're about one minute out from the target's arrival. Two uh, unseemly scenes began to unfold before us uh, with the French policeman at the banana car and the arrival of around three dozen drunken wealthy Frenchmen dressed as, uh, well, dressed like Donald Duck. And this was, this was bad news for us. A lot of uh, elements we couldn't control. And, um, we, uh, we didn't call off the operation. We, we were too close to bail. And, uh, that's when Walt Tremblay arrived. We, we don't, we don't know how he tracked us down, but, um, I don't know who he works for, but he's the greatest field agent I've ever seen. So I head to this bridge, right? And I immediately see the James Bonds, right? The James Bonds guys. What are they called? The 007s? Are they the 007s? You know. Is the 007 like a British CIA? CIB, I guess it would be. Does the A in CIA stand for America? Anyway, I can tell that they are all James Bonds because they are holding guns and wearing bow ties. Dead giveaway, right? Any dumbass can tell you that if a guy is wearing a tux and holding a gun, he's a spy. And if the gun has a silencer, oh my god, even better. We assumed he he would just monitor us from a, a nearby position, but he didn't. Now, he approached our surveillance vehicle and confronted us. I do remember we were walking around following Tony Parker, who was leading us to a gym that he owned because we all wanted to drink beer and shoot baskets. I remember everyone was very excited. I remember that Silvio Berlusconi was there, and he had a, a Kobe Bryant shooting sleeve. And uh, then, then I hear a guy screaming at some car in a shrill, disagreeable voice. I'm like... What the fuck is Walt Tremblay doing here? Is is that Walt Tremblay? Uh, the banana man who owned La Banane, we were having a political debate when uh, he appeared to be distracted and frightened by a bizarre weathered man screaming at a black sedan with the blacked out windows. I look over and it appeared to be the same man I pulled out of Donald Khan earlier that day. I... Do not like to say it. It is not as if I am a Spaniard or a Slavic person with La Song show this uh, hot blood. You can, of course, check me and see, but uh, <laughs> it makes me very upset. I immediately stop what I am doing and I go to arrest and potentially physically harm this uh, Watrumble. So I'm pumping myself up. I see all these James Bonds, and I'm like, first of all, I'm not afraid of you with your little guns and your wristwatch dots and your other little invention that the British nerd gives you to you, you know, when the old lady tells you to go see him. You know, I'll let you know just two things. I'm Walter Tremblay, and I need you to give me my wallet. 
we weren't sure what angle he was going for. He, he, he was, we were very frightened and uh, distracted, and um, most importantly, we didn't have his wallet, so we didn't know what he was uh, actually talking they about. They start trying to, trying to play real cute with me, saying stuff like, who do you work for? You know, How did you escape? Who trained you? What wallet? We don't have your wallet. Did you steal our anti-Princess Diana missile? The queen made it herself because she thinks Diana shows too much cleavage. Like asking me all these dumb questions, pretending they didn't have my wallet. I wasn't having that at all. I was rolling my sleeves up right when I get tapped on the back with a nightstick. That time, Bolt Tremblay was accosted by a French policeman, and we were able to focus a bit more on our mission. I immediately began yelling, Arrête! Stop resisting! And then I immediately hit Mr. Tremblay with a nightstick. It is a trick I learned once those single mothers were protesting that they had too much maternity leave, and we beat them all up. <laughs> those single mothers wanted very badly to get back to work, but no, it is not the French way. Yeah, I started yelling, Walt, Walt, and after uh, after that French cop just started wailing on Walt with the nightstick, um, not like shots to meaty parts either. He was he was hitting Walt in the head, in the in the neck, wrist, joints, knees, elbows, really letting him have it, just trying to break him down like a like a whole raw chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and what was just taking hit after hit and barely buckling? You know, he's wailing on me, and I'm, like, more shocked than hurt. I immediately, you know, turn to him, and I go, Listen, buddy, it's cute that you're mad, but what's going on here? You a crazy guy? And meanwhile, he's getting me good, you know, but I'm trying to get some riffs in because, you know, I had such a buzz going from the French juice, and I've been beat up so much. It's like, come on, you really want me to savor this or something? Just beat me up. I'm bored. I'm not impressed. So everyone starts losing it and cheering, and someone recognized him, started yelling, Golem Desu, Golem Desu, and re uh, rushing over there, and apparently Golem Desu means sweat golem, which was uh, all they, which is what they all had decided his name was after they were done beating him up. Um, well, that scares the cop pretty good to see all these drunk, pantsless guys rushing towards him. When the large mass of men wearing no bottoms charged me, I will admit I was afraid. They cocked back their fists and I thought, Mon Dieu, I am to be punched and smacked. So I eat first. They are all going in to hit Walt, and the cop freaks out, starts hitting them with a nightstick, and he goes and makes the whole crowd. Nobody can see anything, and everybody starts swinging. Yeah, all of a sudden... There were pantsless guys screaming and trying to flip our car. Like, it escalated very quickly. Obviously, we figured that somehow the agent going under the obvious code name of Walt Tremblay was responsible for You know, this. all of a sudden, it's a nut house. I see these naked guys running around. I look to no one in particular, but kind of for everyone, say, hey, this doesn't seem like my type of party, you know? So I'm going to go, okay? Awkward. It got nothing. And I really wasn't mad because, you know, everyone was pretty distracted. You know, I see the Donald Duck guys are jumping into the James Bond car. The French cop was beating up some guys who were freaking out. But all I'm thinking about is that French girl and how I want to give her my fake business card that says I'm a jeweler on it. So she will think I have more money than I do. So she will like me more. 
So I immediately moved to dive inside of the James Bond's car. They had a little crack in the window, but I'm good. I don't need much room. I'm like a newt. I'll squeeze in there. <laughs> he shot into that sedan like a tapeworm. It was honestly disgusting. It's like he was all cartilage or something. My mom smoked when she was pregnant, so there was a lot of cartilage where there should be bone. But, you know, I can stand and do everything like that. I'm fine. I was trying to relocate my initial target of Walter Amplay after I eat a man in, a, uh, in the head that was most likely Christian Audiguet. I thought, you know what? <sighs> I should probably stop smacking these guys, man, no? And then I thought, I saw Walt Tremblay slide into the sedan, so I go to pull him out. Walt Tremblay slipped into our car like a tapeworm. It was awful. I could see just little pieces of spinach all over his teeth, and he starts rummaging around on the ground for his wallet. I immediately pulled out my firearm and uh, attempted to shoot him. You know when you can tell someone's pointing at you, even if you aren't looking? Is that is that a common thing? Anyway, I feel someone holding something out to me behind me, so I just reached back and grabbed it because I thought they were giving me my wallet back. I even had a riff ready, so I started to say it. He goes, hey, I think I know why you're going through my wallet. You must be my ex-wife's lawyer. Right after he just plucked my handgun out of my hand. I immediately surrendered. So then after my great riff, he totally didn't get because he didn't know the details of, you know, my ex-wife, who I had to pay for her lawyer because we were still married when she hired him. So and I had to get a different guy. So basically, I had to pay two lawyers, right? Anyway, I'm like, what's the big idea? What are you going to shoot me for? Just give me my wallet. I just immediately gave him my personal wallet. I didn't know what else I, uh, what else I could do. I'd been beaten. I was, I was spare parts. I didn't remember my wallet being that nice, but I, you know, I had no room to complain about something like that, right? I had to get back to Claudette, the depressed, anxious French woman who I knew for known for an hour or two and that I, you know, I love. I saw Walt Tremblay holding a pistol when I threw open the door of the sedan. I immediately strike his arm in an attempt to disarm him. Were you scared to see a gun pointed at you? Man, no, I was French Foreign Legion. Wait, how can that be? You're not from France. No, I am Quebecois. I did not want to participate in the Canadian military after they banned smoking indoors. Hostie du tabernacle. Many such foreigners joined the Legion for this exact same reason. So anyway, I'm getting my ass kicked. <laughs> Again. And he's beating me up and he tosses me into the front seat. It was then one of the men without pants crashed through the front window. He was wearing a sailor suit top and he said, uh, Oh Fui, the famous catchphrase of Donald Duck. And uh, everyone is laughing. Oh, yes. I remember that. It was Tony Parker who went flying through the windshield. That kind of bugged me because I'd been spitting out gold all night and the guy just copies something from TV and everybody laughs. You know, but, you know, it's important to note he also knocked the car out of park and into drive. The mission sedan began to roll across the street. Traffic was pretty steady, so I exited the vehicle immediately. Most people did. You know, everyone's rolling out of the car. There's cars speeding at us, honking, swerving around us. And I'm like, you know what? I don't even care if they kill me. I'm not rolling out of a car again today. Nope, you can kill me or don't, but I'm sitting in this car, in this moving car until it stops. 
I saw Walt as the only one left in the car. He kind of had his arms crossed and he was looking up like he was being stubborn in the car. I didn't get it. I figured he was just committing suicide so I didn't move. But he was just kind of slowly drifted across traffic, hopped the curb and rammed into this banana stand across the street. You know, so I think I'm not dead, whatever. I'm not going to thank God or anybody about it. You know, what's not a big deal? And I see all these busted bananas all over the dash of the car. So I'm like, okay, I got a great riff ready. You know, let's get out of the car in a hurry. So I jump out. You know, I see everyone stopped fighting and was just kind of looking at me. And I said, I bet people really go bananas for this place. And uh, the mood completely changed. They, they hated the joke and it made them really mad at me. Uh cannot explain it but when he said that he bets that people go really bananas for this place i had had enough i made a decision in my mind to kill him right there i cannot explain it it is such a lazy joke an american joke but without the finesse of monsieur donald nepa just using the word of something that is there saying like it is this big crazy joke obviously waiting for the thunderous applause because he is holding his arms out and his eyebrows are arched degalas disgusting man en francais we say connard a jerk a fool this is very close to our word for duck la canard but Monsieur Tremblay is not noble and brave and funny like uh, Donald Le Canard. He is a repellent idiot. You don't understand. I had to kill him. Apparently, all of the Donald Ducks agreed with me without having to say anything. And we all began to slowly march through traffic across the street. It was the laziest riff on a day of high volume lazy riffs. I don't even think it was a riff. It's just a disappointing sentence. <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe it. It was, uh, I could tell basically instantly that uh, dozens of people wanted to kill me because they were a bad crowd. So I had one move to get out of this. I did Looney Tunes rules. You know, they want to cross a street full of cars. I threw a bunch of banana peels into the street before they could get to me. You know, unfortunately, there was an accident uh, before they were able to even get to the median. We hung out at the hotel a little bit. Me and Beatrix wanted to go to this cool, secret French club we'd heard about that was underwater. And the only way you could get into it is if you were kidnapped. The princess wanted to go visit her boyfriend, who was some sort of heretic or something. So me and Claire put on our spiked stiletto Louboutins, and we walked around those cobblestone streets waving these little American flags and it took about five minutes until we were kidnapped and taken to the club. It was fantastic. And Diana went to go visit her boyfriend with Hugh and their driver for the night. When you work for somebody as a valet or bodyguard or anything like that, you build a sort of rapport with other people in their service. I don't want to say his name or call him out or anything like that. I don't want to say a single word about him. I'll respect him. Apparently, while we were trying to get kidnapped, Hugh slipped the driver some benefit. He's one of those guys with a weird thing that is always trying to get people to try his weird thing, and he does it so much that people just eventually give in, so he'll stop asking. 
We sent out a decoy car about five minutes before midnight. The car arrived and left. I helped Princess Diana into the real car while she was wearing her fat suit. Somehow, someone caught on, so we had to get out of there quick. I told the driver to haul ass because the paparazzi were running to their cars. At around 10 past midnight, we were out on the streets of Paris, trying to lose the paparazzi again. Diana was able to slow down a lot of the paparazzi from getting to their cars by using the fake vomit pump in a fat suit to make them all slip and fall over. And what was the destination that Princess Diana wanted to go to? She wanted to go to her boyfriend's house. He was a king of Egypt or something, some type of Arabic bloke. I thought he sold carpets or something, but when I said that, Diana said that I was a racist and that was the wrong country. And now you see why, you know, they're going to turn Westminster into a mosque one of these days. (laughs) (laughs) What happened next? Well, the, the driver. Driver, let's leave it at that. Hugh, was the driver high on Benadryl? I don't want to talk about that. Hugh, I understand that you want to protect your friend and yourself, but, well, I think you should tell the truth. He started screaming about the web. He timed it wrong. He timed it so wrong. I told him to wait right until we got there. He timed it all wrong. He didn't even get to check off. I told him it would be a blue chip orgasm if he listened to blue chip orgasm. (laughs) I recall a car flying down the street right before we jumped on the median. This naked gentleman and myself all seemed pretty determined to beat up Walt Tremblay. I remember the windows were open and the driver was screaming. Something... something about the web being the worst part. I immediately reached over the seat to help the driver steer the car. I was able to keep it straight, but it was slowing down, but I couldn't reach the brake. I remember thinking, okay, I got this, just coast in. But then I saw the bananas. It's uh, classic Looney Tunes rules. So these guys want to kick my ass and some luxury car goes speeding by. Slips on all the bananas, crashing, big wreck, everybody freaking out. It's not good, it's not good at all. But, uh, you know, a banana shouldn't crash a car. I don't care how big the bananas are. You don't, you should make cars better than that. So it really isn't my problem. They said Princess Diana died in the crash, but, you know, Princess Diana wasn't even in the car. It was some great big fat woman who, I'm sorry, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but she puked everywhere. I saw the automobile. I, I heard the screams about the web. I see it hit a banana and flip over, flying into the air. I see a brief glimpse into the passenger window. Princess Diana upside down, her tiara gently glistening in the white blue streetlights, like a, like a crown of mist. Fuck, I need a cigarette. Fuck, that felt good. Ah, I love reflecting like that. C'est très bon à la vie. That was pretty good there. Uh, pretty good. Crown of Mist. Wow. Um, do you mind if we use that as the title for the documentary? <laughs> no, bien sûr. I expected you would. I'm extremely proud of myself right now. So, the scene was a nightmare. Bloody people, body parts, screaming, a surprising amount of uniformly colored beige puke, everything on fire. It was a mess. 
At one point, even though I was uh, pretty drunk, I think I remember this, a guy carrying a big sheet cake walked into a big window that two guys were carrying. I'm sorry. This is hard to relive. I was only able to survive through some quick thinking. I was objected through the vehicle, through the front, was flying through the air. Before I hit the ground, I, I injected an EpiPen into my forehead. It hit quick, and my body was so conditioned to this that I'd barely had to graze my own member before I ejaculated into my uh, seat pants. My body went completely limp after I orgasmed, so when I hit the ground, there wasn't too much serious trauma. At this point, everyone is kind of looking at Walt like, what the hell? He didn't read the room. He didn't read the severity of the moment. I don't know why they were looking at me. So I hit him with the, check please. At that point, Walt Tremblay said, check please. And we exited the scene immediately. We all basically run him out of the scene. We turned up at the scene right after the accident. It was kind of like random actually. We were only at the club for about 20 minutes, but then we got for real kidnapped and brought to some alley. And then we walked out of the alley and ta-da, there's Walt Tremblay and he's saying check please to a bunch of very angry people. Apparently he had killed Princess Diana. Correct. With a banana. Yes, and then he just ran out of there. I wanted to go see the French girl, yeah, but I was pretty sure I pushed a lot of my luck that day, and uh, multiple parties were deeply invested in murdering me, so I just left. I took a straight flight from Paris to Terre Haute. Just my luck. One ticket left. Can you believe it? I want to say that it was hard for me to live my life after seeing Princess Diana die, but sorry, I think nobility is a ridiculous concept. So it's just like some rich lady died. Not to sound callous, but big whoop, I mean, for the documentary, I could play it up emotionally like I was rocked by this deep tragedy, but I mean, let's just be straight, she was a stranger. I was basically fine. It's not like food tastes worse now. Do you you think I should play it up? Do you think? In such confusion, we did all we could to save her, but it was too petit, too tardé. After that, I found it difficult to have a purpose anymore. I became an existentialist. I spent a whole year in my black turtleneck and beret. I looked out many cafe windows while drinking coffee, which was also black. I went back to America after that. My next most famous friend was Jenny McCarthy, so I went out to LA to mooch off of her instead. I never got to fuck Judge Ito but I did get fingered by Kato Kalen. I leaked several photos of my breast to the sun after that. We all grieve in our own way, I suppose. I miss Princess Diana very much. I miss her deeply to this day. Could you zoom in? I have this one tear perfectly about to fall. What? This is, this is all audio. <clears throat> Do you mean to tell me I put numbing anal lubricant in my eye for audio? Okay, well, whatever. Listeners at home, I am crying. Oh, I miss her so much. Taken too soon. The light of England, Britain, sunrise. You are the hero of the island. You are so much less inbred than the rest of them. Sorry you died. 
Me sorry. Me wanna be a baby again. <laughs> what? Was that better? Is it too much? Princess Diana was a great person. She did charity work for so many charities that I can remember. I'm remembering them all right now, and it's so much. She truly was a uniquely wonderful person. I don't know why anyone would try to kill her. Listen, anybody would have done what I did in my situation. Anybody. I don't care what you say, who you are. If you're listening to this, you would have done it and not regretted it. And you're just like me. You can strut around all day and pretend you are better, but listen, it's a cold world. And if Princess Diana has to die so that Walt Tremblay doesn't get pulled apart like boiled chicken by a cop and a bunch of naked, wealthy, Donald Duck aficionados, then it looks like Princess Diana is going down. Capiche? No, no, don't wave me off. Don't tell me to stop talking. Listen here, viewer at home, you're just like me. You're exactly like me and we both know. Get your hands off me. Come on, man. Hey, 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 you asked me to be here. I never got to say my Clamato riff. I never got to say my Clamato riff.